Hello and welcome back to Behind the Pros. It's a theatre podcast all about the real lives of the people who make it. Series 2, episode 21, stars Jamie Ross, a fellow Geordie and actor-musician living in exile down south. We talk about lockdown jobs at Tesco's, GSA, Seabourn, the University of Manchester Musical Theatre Society, the positives and negatives of mixing up musical training, the Edinburgh Fringe, playing for school assemblies as a child, musical influences, building coffee tables, life-changing theatre, and so much more. Enjoy! It's an interesting one, um, because, I mean, the isolation part, I suppose, is, is quite easy, because I live with my with my partner, Celia, um, and it's just the two of us in our flat. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who are, are in similar situations are sort of struggling with being cooped up together. Right. But we've both managed to... Um, so, I, <laughs> I'm working in Tesco. Um, which is about a 10-minute walk away, and she's she's doing some some childcare work for the kids of an NHS doctor. So we actually get to be out and about quite a lot. Um, I mean, the the Tesco I work at is about 10 minutes walk from the flat, so that's you know that's about my range. Do you um, find your uh, I get to walk? But... Your performing experience is helping you. Um, in in my in my newfound shelf stacking life. Um, it, it definitely, there is definitely an element of cheeriness and, and sort of performance when you're, when yeah. you're behind the till. Um, I, I think it's, um, it, it give, working in the performing arts and being able to sort of put up a, a bit of a front definitely gives you a bit of an edge when it comes to customer service jobs. Right. Because, because you, you just don't, even if you don't know the answer to the question, um, you can sort of like improvise your way through an interaction with a a customer and and sort of I think people do it's easy to fake having really good customer service skills because you just imagine what good customer service might be like well it's it's almost like doing a scene yeah exactly um but I I think you know I mean generally performers are sort of quite empathetic people and and you know sort of outgoing if not necessarily all extroverted people and and fit into that kind of environment quite well and i think the customers do actually sort of appreciate someone who has a bit more of an interaction mm. with them and and from my point of view as well with it obviously not being my main job um i'm i feel like i'm investing quite a lot into customers and, and trying to do a decent job because i know i'm not there forever um so I don't have that sort of this is just my life mentality um, of just wanting to get through the shifts. So I'm sort of looking for things that, that are enjoyable and, and, and chatting to customers, albeit through a Perspex safety screen, yeah. um, is, is quite nice and, and sort of gets, gets me through quite nicely. Well, you see, I've just come off the ship, so it it's, feels like a whole different world uh, coming yeah. back here and seeing how everything uh, has been. Um, you've, you've also spent some time on ships as well um mm-hmm. what is it that um you feel about um people who are performing in ships how do you how do you think that experience has um changed you the only reason i'm asking is because um i literally just recorded a podcast before you with um somebody else who um also spent time at sea do you feel like it changed you as a performer mm, abs- absolutely i i mean can we talk brand names on sure. here or shall I, shall I just say, I mean, cause you know, we first met in Northampton, yep. um, rehearsing for the wonderful, um, Belinda King creative productions. Um, and, and yeah, so, so that ship that I did was, was the Seaborn Odyssey. And, um, it was, it was only my second job out of, um, out of drama school since, right. since I graduated. And so I was, I was still quite fresh and I, I trained as an actor, um, at GSA um, on the master's course I, I'd always done musicals and I'd always been a musician and, and sort of performed that way but but I had n- never been in such an intensely sort of grueling rehearsal process and not grueling in an unpleasant way but just 
the, the sheer volume of material that you have to learn when you do those contracts is just, you know, stay, it was like, you know, 50 songs or something. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, how many shows did you have on the, uh, on the Odyssey? Well, we had, uh, we had five shows, um, that we learned, you know, and each one had sort of 14 songs of which you'd be singing in about 10. Yeah. Um, so, so there was just, yeah, the quantity of material, it was a real sort of, um, it, 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 it did wonders for me as a singer, um, because it, one, it forced me to learn to sing high. And it also made me just over the course of that rehearsal process made me sort of really learn to watch my technique and mm. that kind of volume of singing. Um, if you're not doing it properly and you start getting injured. So, I mean, purely on a technical level, I think being on a ship really, really helped me. So what year did you graduate? Uh, so I left, we were the 2013-14 year from, from GSA on the, the MA acting course. Wow. So um, you did you do that straight after uh, university somewhere else? Yeah, right right off the back of um, uh, undergrad music degree at the University of Manchester, um, which was absolutely awesome. And, and I didn't really know that I wanted to go to drama school until I was in my third year of uni because um, I'd gone and I was doing this sort of straight music degree that was very kind of th like theoretical, almost like a sociology degree. Right. Uh, um, and I was doing a lot of student musical theatre. I was doing a lot of, um, I'd helped found the University of Manchester Musical Theatre Society, which is still going to this day, which makes me immensely proud. Um, and and I sort of, the more I did performing uh, i sort of went oh actually i really really love doing this and i and i love musical theater um it's something i've been passionate about for for a long time and, and and in my head something told me that i should go off and apply to drama school and do a straight acting course um mm. because i thought well i've just spent three years sort of effectively training as a singer because that was my first study on the music degree so i might as well go and have a look at the acting side of things and i did that and i haven't done any straight acting since i graduated but i've done an awful lot of singing how much do you feel that diversity of your training has uh, kept your bills paid uh, it definitely has it's both it both a help and a hindrance i would say having um a sort of mixed training because there there is a certain level of when you know drama schools are i feel they they really exist in service of their ba programs their three-year sort of training programs um and the industry certainly when when sort of i graduated and i i think it's probably still true today but the industry looks to those courses as the flagship courses um so you know if if you're industry is is um it's looking at the actor musos who come from rose bruford it's looking at the musical theater people who come from Mountview. it's you know right. it's, it's um there is that level of focus and if you do one of the you know air quotes other courses um there, there's definitely sort of slightly less prestige then the industry understands that you have the training and the skills but there are um there are easier people to place than you and that that it's sort of i think it sort of holds you back in in a certain way like that but on the flip side of it, the fact that I've got a, a sort of a lot of musical skills and, and sort of, I, you know, I also do, you know, I'm also an MD and an arranger um, um, helps you also fit into a lot of different boxes where other people might just fit into one. So you're kind of pigeonholed and not pigeonholed. That has actually helped me out a lot sort of over the years because it means that i can say yes to a lot more things yeah well that's i i guess that's a a big positive of it all so when you uh when did you first start uh realizing that music was something that you could make a living out of Ooh, um i I think that the, the first seeds of that would probably be um, my first ever sort of 
semi-professional job, which was um, a show at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2000 and... Uh, I get this right. 2012 <laughs> was my was was my first Edinburgh Fringe, and that was um, in a show called The Rat Pack Live, um, produced by the wonderful Hartshorn Hook Productions, uh, Louis Hartshorn and Brian Hook, um, who took a chance on this random like guy who just finished his second year of of a music degree, um, who could do a sort of passable Frank Sinatra impression. Nice, uh, and um, you know they. They paid our transport up to Edinburgh. They put us up there for the month. I think I was paid £150 for, for the entire month, which sort of barely covers your beer money when you're in Edinburgh. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I was sort of between between years of uni degree, so I had that month free. I would have just been living at home with my parents. I didn't have rent to pay. I didn't have any bills. Mm. So so going away and doing that and, and doing an Edinburgh run kind of i think probably helped to plant those seeds of oh this is something that that you can do it flicked the switch in my head that actually it is possible to earn money sort of standing on a stage and, and singing at people nice well that's that's pretty would you say that was pretty late i mean when did you start uh, musically working so like uh i started uh playing the piano when i was about eight so uh, what what kind of age did you first get into music? Um oh, well that considerably younger um than age 20. Um <laughs> I I I think I I started having piano lessons in year I think it was year 5 um that I started having them. I I couldn't tell you, I don't know what age that is. That's about 9 10. Nine or ten. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, my um, my parents said, okay, neither of my parents are musicians, um, but we had always had this little um, Yamaha electronic organ. And when, when I say organ, I mean like with, you know, with, with two keyboards nice. um, and a load of pedals. And um, it, my parents had had it since before I was born. Right. Uh, presumably with the intention that they 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 one day might learn to play it <laughs> but it always just be been a feature of our house and, and there's videos of me as a baby you know sort of randomly mashing keys um and so it always been just if i was bored and in the house it'd be a thing that i could do you know sit down and and mess around with this this keyboard and right. i started sort of you know picking out tunes by by ear or whatever um and uh, when I was in primary school, I, I played in a couple of assemblies. Um, it was a, a Church of England primary school, and I'd play a hymn or something. Um, like I, I can't, even, I can't even think of an example of a hymn now. So it, I mean, like "Oh Come All Ye Faithful" or you right. know, something like that at Christmas time. <laughs> and I, and I would play the tune I'd, uh, with the right hand, and then effectively everything was always in C major. I, I didn't know that it, I didn't know that at the time, but every, every hymn was transposed into C major. And then I would, I would randomly play white notes with um, with my left hand and hope that it that it sort of worked out. <laughs> that sounds like what I did. Right, well, I, I, I think sort of playing by ear like that, even though it's sort of random, it, it, it's quite a it's quite a good way to train your musical ear early Absolutely. on. Um, and my parents sort of went, oh, well, he's messing around like this. So why don't we see if we get him some piano lessons? What happens? And I, and I had a few lessons and I, and I started to enjoy it. And eventually we got this old secondhand piano and um, from, from a local music shop. And I remember that being delivered and being one of the most exciting things ever. And then so from, from then on, I had piano lessons up to the, about the age of 18. Um, before I went off to uni and stopped having lessons. But then because I didn't have to practice, it made me play more of the stuff that I wanted to play. So, so it, in reality, I probably improved as a player more once I stopped hmm. having piano lessons because I was playing so much more. It, it, it's that weird sort of counterintuitive thing. I, I, I don't know if you've ever exp experienced that, but the stuff that I was made to play as part of my piano education, mm. as it were, was so much less enjoyable than, you know, having an iPad full of illegally downloaded musical theatre scores <laughs> and just 
you know, playing through them in a practice room in the basement of um, the University of Manchester's music building. I I say all the time uh, in the the show I do that the the time that I truly took piano seriously was when I was just allowed to get on with it myself. Yeah. I I I had a great teacher and she still teaches now but um bless her. But I must have drove her up the bloody wall. <laughs> because I I clearly I knew how to fake it. Um and I knew what it was meant to sound like, but my technique was dreadful. Like I I I think I was in a similar boat except I just I I wasn't even any good at faking it. Sort of the <laughs> the, the, the all of the exam pieces and stuff, I I would just barely practice them through the week, and I'd come and so, you know sometimes the first time I'd looked at it, I, I used to drive once I was old enough to drive myself. I used to drive about fourteen miles because I grew up in the countryside where nothing is nearby. So I used to drive fourteen miles to my piano teacher's house, and I'd sit down at his his piano and start playing. And that would be the first time I'd touched whatever piece of music I was supposed to be yes. learning. Yes, since since a week ago when I was sat there, and and, and you know I. I'd sort of sit there and make excuses and go, oh, yeah, I'm finding this one really difficult. It's really tricky. I don't feel like I've improved at all. <laughs> and obviously, obviously he's sitting there going, yeah, yeah, of course. You just literally haven't practiced. <laughs> um, but he never called me out on it, which uh, I don't know. But I should probably be grateful for that. Um, yeah. Saving me that embarrassment. But, but yes, yeah, it's, it, it, it's that weird thing of if I had been left to my own devices at an earlier stage... I probably would have stopped playing altogether. But the fact that I was forced to at least give the impression of attempting to learn the piano up until the point where I had some sort of motivation and desire to do yes. it myself. <laughs> um, then it, yeah, then I was, that sort of spurred me to actually learn to play, you know, if not with good technique, but, you know, right. something resembling a bit of ability. <laughs> so looking at uh, both music and theatre who would you say are your uh big inspirations or maybe idols that you have oh i wish you give me that invite uh in advance let me have a thing <laughs> <laughs> well I, I can tell you who who really influenced me sure um growing up musically and and pretty much all of my musical influences were based around either what my parents listened to um or the sort of one or two CDs that I bought for myself right. growing up, um, which were the Beatles. My parents were big Beatles fans, which is such a generic answer, um, I find. You know, every, everyone goes, you know, who inspires you? And you say the Beatles and you go, oh, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> everybody's influenced by the Beatles. But but um, I mean, I, I, I sort of really one of the things that I did obsess over um, when I was sort of a teenager was I, I had this Beatles anthology book. Um, which was this like two inch thick A4 book with lead sheets for every single Beatles song, including, you know, there are hundreds in there yeah. um, and hundreds that I'd never heard. Um, and I used to just sit and like busk my way through every single one of them. Um, so so I really used to sort of, um, yeah, obsess over the Beatles music and um, Queen were also um, a huge influence in oh, terms nice. of I, I used to, i really and i still do admire the sort of theatricality of all of queen's music and um the, the sort of like the showmanship and storytelling that's that's within all of their music i think um, uh, I really albums, I, I, albums like night at the opera are not just um great music but they're they're like works of art they're, they're theater oh, in itself yeah they they it, there's sort of just there's something about the the kind of like imaginary world that that gets conjured up anytime you're listening to a queen album huh. you're sort of it, it's this just like weird sort of camp like beautiful space with with like incredible electric guitar solos everywhere but also everyone's being sort of really kind of sarcastic and tongue-in-cheek and and yes. sort of there's like i i it, there's there's so much going on with them that I just, I just love. I think probably my other big musical influence, actually, two other ones. One of them is Don McLean. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, w I went through a brief phase of being utterly obsessed with American Pie, and then bought his greatest hits album from from Woolworths, um, and it's got <laughs> loads of 
loads of great versions of um of, of you know songs from the time like you know castle in the sky and, and sort of um all of these sort of like 50s 60s like standard pop songs yeah. um and, and i always really admired his sort of again storytelling through song and that sort of honest style and i i always found him like a slightly more um palatable bob dylan in in some ways it's sort of like bob dylan with all the like political corners like right. sanded sanded down and his voice is a bit more pleasant to listen to and uh you know sort of not that bob dylan is necessarily an acquired taste but but i think you you sort of you have to learn to like bob dylan a bit more whereas right. don mclean is very accessible if not as necessarily impactful do you think there's um, still a as place a, as a singer songwriter in the industry for a style like that? What, well, there's sort of that like kind of folky... I, I, yeah. I would say that there is... Um, are you, do you mean the sort of the, the music industry or the, the sort of musical theatre? I, I, do you know yeah. what? I, I think it's a bit of both, really, because uh, in the music industry, uh, is there still a place for proper storytelling and then mm. in theater would that then cross over yeah uh, well i suppose the obvious example to look to look to would be i i saw girl from the north country um when it was right. back in town at the beginning last year um which was just one of the most beautiful beautiful pieces of theater that, that i've ever seen it was sort of one of those one of those theater experiences where you walk out feeling genuinely moved right. and just like you feel like you're a, you're a better person because you've seen it and and obviously there is a lot of taking a, a, of the original bob dylan material and sort of rearranging it and sort of hmm. re-presenting it but compared with you know your standard I mean, not that Gulf from the North Country is a jukebox musical in any sense. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, but if you were to, you know, if, if you go, this is a thing that you go and see, there are actors on a stage, sometimes they sing Bob Dylan songs, but they're telling a story that's unrelated to Bob Dylan. Sure. And you go, oh, so that's a jukebox musical. But no, it's, it's a play based around, you know, the music of Bob Dylan. Um, and I really think that there is so much more scope to produce things like Girl from the North Country mm. um, and have these really sort of heartfelt, beautifully crafted pieces of music theatre, you know, theatre and drama that incorporates music and actor musicianship that is not necessarily just another jukebox musical. Right. Yeah, and, and and within the music music industry as a whole, I mean, it's it's so tough because you you have that sort of you're always in that battle between the sort of the commercial and the artistic, and creating things that people will buy versus things that people will listen to. I mean, there there are some fantastic singer songwriters out there. One of my absolute favorite artists at the minute. Um, is is a chap named Gabriel Kahane, uh -huh. um, who if you've if you've not listened to any any of his stuff, um, he's just such a gifted composer and songwriter and lyricist, um, and it, his style is just this sort of like eclectic mix of sort of folky indie kind of poppy sensibilities, but with this serious backing of of like sort of classical music nice um and his his background is that is that he is a he he's essentially sort of like a composer in the classical sense you know you know he writes for orchestras he writes for you know string quartets and and things like that um but then he also has this all uh, this other sort of side project where i mean his his most recent album election he basically got on a, a train, a cross-country train hmm. um, with no electronic devices, um, just a notepad. And he traveled thousands of miles around the United States 
on these sort of overnight trains and just started conversations with people and gathered stories from them and then turned those stories into songs which wow. became the album and it's yeah the, the entire album is just him and an upright piano and it's it's just an absolutely stunning piece of music and again that's the kind of thing where i went um i went to see him live uh, when he was in london about this time last year and um in the sort of 400 seat auditorium there was about 200 people and it was one of the most amazing concerts i've ever been to wow but he just doesn't have the sort of the commercial reach and the commercial appeal because that kind of music isn't necessarily what's going to you know sort of appeal to the general public or be you know sort of smash hit and and there's this weird thing that i find now which is that the reason that commercial culture and commercial sort of music production is so um kind of ubiquitous is because everyone's obsessed with chasing the biggest possible prize and you know everyone's obsessed with sort of making as much money as is possible to make yes so so the stuff that is anywhere you know in the middle anything that could be reasonably successful just kind of gets dumped so you're stuck between these really tiny obscure artists that nobody ever really hears about apart from a very small core group of fans who sort of support them and keep them going yes the cardi b's of this world um <laughs> not that there's anything you know not that i have any problem at all with, no. with cardi b but um but, but you know it's either you know you you're, you're either a billionaire or or you're broke i yeah. feel um, what, nowadays what, what so. about um in theater you, you you talked about um a big musical recommendation sorry music recommendation mm. what about if i could you could recommend one thing for me to see before i die uh that would change me or would move me what would it be hmm now, obviously, I don't know what you've seen and what you haven't seen. Right. Um, but in terms of things which have had the biggest impact um, on me, I think, yeah, I, th I think I would say um, Emilia, which was on uh, last, last year at the, the Vaudeville. Was it the Vaudeville? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I just think that was, I, I don't know, did you, did you see that? I didn't. It was I didn't. No. It was earth-shatteringly brilliant and and motivating and and sort of i mean it's I'm, I'm just i'm trying to phrase this properly without giving any spoilers the the piece ends with a sort of feminist call to arms the the sort of the feeling that i had that i got from um you know in, in a sort of a pretty packed house of both men and women mm. um it's amazing to see a piece of theater with such a loud, proud feminist message that didn't feel like an attack on right, yeah. men watching it, but felt like a sort of, um, it, it, it felt by the end of it, you realized that, that you'd just been watching the case being made for the existence of feminism. Mm. And it's almost a, this is why you need feminism. And and this rousing speech that Amelia delivers at the end, she finished it and like half the audience, including me, just like involuntarily stood up and started applauding. And wow. like everyone was crying. And it, yeah, it was just, it was one of the most sensationally brilliant. The, the cast was so just fantastically, like diversely and well cast. It just felt to me like a sort of, textbook example of, of, of what theatre can and should be in the 21st century, which is sort of still political, yes. still entertaining because it's also incredibly funny and, and yeah, just also so relevant. And if you could only venture into one area again, so either music or theatre, mm. you've got to take one away, which one would you <laughs> stick with? Oh that's a really tough question yeah um, can, can i sort of sidestep and say that <laughs> if I, if you know if i couldn't have one i don't think i'd want the other you can you can um because 
for me and it you know it's obviously very specific to to me and my sort of journey but but i i really feel as though the two are so inextricably linked that that for me the best music the best music for me is music that has a theatrical element and the best yeah. theater is the theater that has a musical element to it um that's nice so so yeah i'm i'm not sure that if if you know if if i had to the music industry side of things for for the rest of my life if if i'd be able to do that right well um uh, moving on uh, away from uh, theater for a second what kind of things do you do when you are when you're not performing what what's completely opposite of theater and music that you uh, you have in your life um well i don't know about opposite but i'm i'm a big one for starting random hobbies <laughs> um i love a good random hobby um woodworking is one of them wow i was not um, expecting that <laughs> um which which is a sort of funny one and and um so my my granddad was um was it was a joiner and eventually a woodwork teacher oh, wow up until he died and when i was I had absolutely no interest in it whatsoever i i just it could not care less about making things out of wood that was the most boring concept imaginable <laughs> um and and then he, um so my granddad passed away um at the end of 2017 and since then i sort of almost subconsciously as a way of connecting mm. um with, with his memory suddenly found that woodworking was absolutely fascinating to me nice um and so just like you know obviously we we live in a sort of smallish flat in southeast london that doesn't have any outdoor space that's not the park or the street um so there's not much room to have a workshop but um you know, like sort of, for example, I um, I say assembled rather than built my own guitar because some <laughs> of the parts were, were made by somebody else for me in a factory. Uh, but, you know, there's sort of a fair amount of, of, of drilling and a little bit of sawing and a bit of sanding and things like that involved in, in building that. And um, I, I built a coffee table a couple of years ago. That was, wow. Um, that was really fun. Um, that was my first sort of woodworking project was was um i went to um i think it was home base and bought some planks of wood <laughs> <laughs> you have to uh, send a picture and i will put it as part of the uh, the podcast <laughs> description excellent i think it's i think it's on my uh, on my instagram i'll have a scroll through nice now find... are there any places uh, that you love touring to or any cities while you've been um, when you worked at sea that you loved when we were on the Odyssey, I we went once and only once to um, Valletta in Malta. Ah, yes. Um, which is such a gorgeous, gorgeous city, um, and and there is so much kind of history in Valletta, and mm. and and yet it's such a modern kind of city as well. It's one of those like beautiful cities that that has managed somehow to preserve this really kind of like old world feel yeah um while still you know having a starbucks and like <laughs> underground bars that serve serve like craft beer and cool things like that somewhere with wi-fi um, is always important so, yeah i mean the number one criteria for any any dock <laughs> is is decent wi-fi um but in in the uk um cities that i have particularly enjoyed touring to um um, I, I I quite like East. I find Eastbourne really cute. Ah, by um, the sea. You like a yeah. seaside one. I do like a seaside one. I also like Bridlington. Um, oh, Bridlington Spa! No way. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there, but there's something about Eastbourne that it's it's so cozy. Um, and yeah, we we did the. Um, I, I just have very fond memories. So when when I did Footloose, when I was swinging on the Footloose tour, I was off stage swing and um, we got moved to the Devonshire Park Theatre um, mm. because I can't remember the one is next door, the bigger one um, in Eastbourne, but that was having some renovations done. Right. But they put this quite large sort of 
touring show in this really tiny theatre, which has like no back of house space. into the building right um and usually when you know when you're off stage swing you and probably the other off stage swings get a dressing room to yourselves um but the devonshire park the dressing rooms hold two people and there's like six of them oh. um so my, my dressing room for that week was an armchair in the corridor oh, no. but it's just like really fat like cozy like old-timey armchair you know it's like the kind of armchair that your nan would have nice and I probably spent like 75% of my time in that theater curled up in that armchair, just like watching Netflix and hanging out. It was People great. People think touring's glamorous. Is that not glamorous? Does that not pass for glamorous? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the, uh, the uh, theater that you are most proud of being part of? I would say, hmm. you know, probably um, the first bit of theatre that I ever did, well, the rephrase, the first job I ever did um, was, was a show called Adam Long's Dickens Abridged. Oh, wow. Um, and that was, a, that was another swing job, actually. That was, that was my first job out of GSA. And um, there was a, the cast, it was four guys, um, and it was 90 minutes, and it was the complete works of Charles Dickens um, in 90 minutes. Um, the, the, and so the concept was that these four guys were a Charles Dickens tribute band that had come over from California with nice. their guitars and a bunch of silly songs, and they were going to do all of Charles Dickens' books in 90 minutes, and other books got done in sort of like a 30 second long rap gotcha um wait i think i saw this did you i think i did it was there more than one tour of it um the so it it was so we did it in 2015 right um but it had been on before and i think it toured before in a sort of slightly different form Mm. Um, but it, I think it had a brief stint at the Arts Theatre a few years before. That rings a bell. Um, but it, it was written by um, by Adam Long, who's one of the founding members of Produce Shakespeare Company, um, who is just a just brilliantly funny and gifted uh, writer of comedy and comedic songs. And we will do a one-man version of from top to bottom because yeah. as a swing that was my job was to know all four of these guys wow. tracks um and i just yeah sort of doing it that is the piece of theater that i'm i'm just like that's the best thing i've done so far and it's also the first thing i ever did which is not <laughs> to say that i'm not proud of anything else that i've done um but just in terms of the nights that i did go on um I just absolutely had more of a ball than I've ever had. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what, are, that show. what are the uh, words of advice you'd give the 18-year-old you? Hmm. Um, it's tricky because, um, because 28-year-old Jamie is, is pretty content. Um, That's good. Sort of life in general and i don't know if i'd want to change necessarily anything that would you know anything about my journey that that wouldn't lead me to where i am now but i think i would um i'd probably say to 18 year old jamie is don't be afraid of practicing (laughs) (laughs) and um because i think at that time 18 year old Jamie it was and it's it's what a lot of people go through when when they move out of their you know small town where they grew up and move to a new sort of city with a bunch of different people who are all interested in the same things that they're interested in yeah but I definitely had that you know suddenly just being you know some some random human being right and coming out of that and the, the thing that 
I think knocked my confidence. I found that really knocked my confidence going through that kind of experience. Mm. And I, I sort of, as I met other people who were better musicians than me, better singers than me, better actors than me, you know, whatever, I sort of kind of uh, my assumption back then was always that they were just naturally better right or or you know that they, they, they were sort of you know they were somehow more capable people mm. and then the thing that i've realized as i've grown up older is if you want to be good at anything you just have to do it a whole bunch of times of um, course and which I, is... I think it's also that you are you are right for certain things and, and, and just not right for other things. It's not to do with with you as a person or an individuality that you have. That can be the thing which gets you the job and you know, you can't mm. you can't you can't try and lose that to please someone. Absolutely. Yeah, the the whole thing of um of I, I can never remember there's, there's this sort of the bits of a sort of motivational phrase that that floats around my head when i think about this kind of thing um but but the idea of of like never looking sideways yeah. as you're sort of going through life it is sort of kind of you, everyone is on on their own journey and different people find different levels of success at different points and it's it, it a thing that really interests me is is the way worldview changes depending on, on sort of the level of, of success that they get straight out of drama school yeah absolutely um because i you know i i mean i i, I left gsa um i did a show at the Edinburgh fringe which which sort of it was the rat pack again it was, you know the third third year of doing doing that show right and then i moved to london and um, you know, I, I, I had an agent and I started, you know, doing auditions and things, but I didn't book my first job for, a, it was about sort of seven or eight months after, uh, after I'd sort of moved to London and sort right. of left, left that drama school bubble. And, and at the time I definitely was starting to think, Oh, you know, maybe I should have booked a job by now um still not having done anything yet where i was just you know working in a pub for minimum wage um like 70 hours a week just to pay my rent and survive it really made me value the job that i did get when i got it nice yeah and and you know and you see you do see some people and you know i'm sure, I'm sure you know know people who go into a fantastic job straight out of drama school and they're on, you know, people talk about like, you know, the curse of lame is or whatever, you know, where, <laughs> you know, or, you know, shows that regularly take new graduates mm. and, and sort of people come out of drama school and go into those shows and they think that everything's going to be great forever. Right. Yes. And then they finish their contract and suddenly, um blown it or they think the magic's gone or something but it's just yeah it's like you said it, it's it, it's acknowledging that every single person has a different journey and a different path and so long as you're always going after what you enjoy doing and and what you feel you're good at and developing your skills then everything generally tends to work out for the best. And I think it's going to what you were saying, even about things like woodwork, you, you can enjoy that while you're on the journey of everything else. It's an industry where you can feel like it's, it's everything. And uh, it, that's, that's all you're meant to focus on. Whereas actually the more that I speak to people on the podcast, it's the little things that they do on the journey that really matter to them yeah absolutely it's you know it's it's the holidays that you take and it's the you know the things that you do with friends that that are the majority of the happy memories and that's mm. not to say that you don't have fantastic experiences when you're working and one of the the really wonderful things i think about being in this industry is yes it's tough and there's a lot of rejection but when you do book a job and when you are working it 
you are being paid to do the thing that you absolutely love doing. Yeah, for sure. And and that is sort of a reward in itself. The the hard work part of this job are the is the times when you're not working. So it's finding the ways to make those times as enjoyable as possible and get as much as possible out of those times and enjoying that freedom essentially and coming coming back to what we we're talking about at the the start of the of, of the phone call yeah. with all of this COVID-19 being completely shut down mm. for, for the time being um and so yes it's it's sad that there's nothing going on that there's that there's not much theater being made yeah. and for those people who were in jobs who are now out of jobs it's a very difficult time but there's something very freeing about the fact that for all of these people you know and i include myself in that for whom the industry at times can be your entire life yeah suddenly we've got a few months to just put it to one side and to not necessarily engage with the with the theater industry as performers and as professionals and to just live our lives hmm. it's a it, it's a good way to think um, about it and there's something quite freeing about that i think that um yeah and, and it's sort of i mean it's very much making the best of of what is a, an awful situation but but you know because for, for most people if if you're going through a period of three months and you haven't had a single audition or your agent hasn't called or, um, you know, you've been out of work or whatever and not yeah. been performing, you're worrying and you're going, oh, I'm falling behind. I'm, I'm, I'm missing out. I'm, you know, there's so much I should be doing. But now yeah. we've just got, we've got this like holiday where it's fine that you're not doing anything because yeah. nobody's doing anything. Yeah. Um, kind of brings it all back into kind of thinking about it on a human scale, on a humanity level. So mm -hmm. in 70 years time, hopefully you'll still be alive, but uh, what, will, Just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what will people say about you or what would you like them to say about you? Who are these people? It would be, well, would be my... Just, uh, just if, if just... somebody mentions your name, they go, oh yes, he was, is... <laughs> He he was he was he is, and um, I, I I you know I I'd hope that people remembered me as um, somebody useful. I think <laughs> I like so, that. So, so, some somebody helpful. Um, you are a swing by nature, aren't you? Yeah, I I, I think that's sort of it's. Um, I I think that is probably my my the if i had to put one thing at the top of my cv hmm. um it would probably just be will probably say yes <laughs> um to 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 whatever i'm sort of very much up for you know if it's something that i think i can do um then then i'll usually agree to do it so so i'd hope that and and it's sort of i like being a problem solver I, I like finding solutions for things and i like helping people out you know if i'm the kind of guy that if, if someone's got a question about their tax return well yes. people will come to me and if i don't know the answer i'll go and find out the answer for them rather than just going oh, i'm sorry I, I don't know what the answer to that question yeah. is because i don't know I, there's, there's something in my brain is that i i really get off on helping people out <laughs> <laughs> I, that, is, I, i'll clip that that is perfect <laughs> um and um finally have you got any questions for me oh what was it like being um those last few weeks that you've had on the show what was it like um with obviously everything that's been been going on do you know what it was bizarrely calm and um we as a crew uh were all relaxed and supportive um we none of we were all healthy so it was just a case of keeping an eye out for each other it, it's that humanity thing making sure we mm. uh, look after each other and i think that was 
just all of these different cultures, different nationalities, all together, all not sure what's going to come next, but somehow existing, living and, and caring about each other. Yeah. So... Well, thank you very much, Jamie. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Maybe where people can find you, uh, um, or on on social media, or where they can shop and bump into you. It's Jamie Ross on Twitter, um, at Jamie Ross on Instagram as well. <laughs> um, I've just um, actually I I just acquired that that Instagram name of at Jamie Ross. So I was, it was a Sunday night about a month ago and um my my instagram username used to be jamie alex ross because jamie ross was was taken yes. by somewhere um and there's a couple of other jamie ross there's a guy who does a, an internet radio show in the states called jamie ross um and there's also a guy in scotland who used to be buzzfeed's political editor ah and occasionally he'd say something funny and it would go into a buzzfeed article and i'd get a load of messages being like look at this funny thing you said about scottish politics and i'd be like <laughs> no that's 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 the other guy. So I, I was sitting and I was I was wondering. I was like, you know, what, why am I not at Jamie Ross on Instagram? And I and I, I sort of thought, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna search for it. I'm gonna see see who owns that and maybe think about getting in touch with them and, and getting yeah. that username off them if they're not really using it. Um, and so I typed in at Jamie Ross onto Instagram and I don't know why I hadn't done it before. And an account came up and it just had one photo. And I looked at the photo and I was like, oh, that looks kind of familiar. It was a picture of a desk with a load of crap on it just like stacks of books and papers and stuff right and the caption was um look at the state of my desk and the picture was from 10 years ago and i realized it was my desk oh. and this was an instagram <laughs> account that i'd made a decade ago <laughs> you were ahead of the curve so I, I filled out the necessary forms and, and eventually got that so now i am at jamie ross on on instagram and on twitter um and, and people can um check out my my website got your backings as well um hopefully not to step on your to toes too much but I, I have a side business where helping people with audition prep um where people can send me sheet music and i play it and i record it and i send it back to them um which is at gotyourbackings.com perfect uh, well the thing and, is you know it's like tomato ketchup some people like heinz some people like daddies so exactly. you know you pick what you like <laughs> I don't know if I'm Heinz or Daddy, but... Uh... <laughs> That's, that will be a mystery. Jamie Ross, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Behind the Pross is a podcast hosted by Buzzsprout, with musical thanks to Audio Jungle and Itan Epstein Music. The artwork was by Jared Page of Stagey Pagey, and if you wish to donate to the cause, paypal.me forward slash Gary Jerry. Any inquiries about Behind the Pross podcast, please contact behindthepross at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.